Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live shows in Minneapolis. Our guest today is Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry, who was elected in 2017. Prior to that, he was elected to office as a member of the City Council for the Third Ward in 2013. He grew up in Oakton, Virginia, and attended the College of William & Mary and graduated with a degree in government in 2004. He then ran professionally and competed for Team USA in the Pan American Games Marathon, finishing in fourth place. In 2012, he founded and organized the first Big Gay Race, a 5K charity to raise money for Minnesotans united for all families. Our media sponsor this season is MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can read local, state, and national news at MinPost.com. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, oh, big applause. Yes, thank you. So um, thank you so much for being here and uh, for being uh, uh, for being here. It's this big snowstorm and whatnot. And I uh, just all weekend I was thinking, is this like what the is this like a thing for you? Like, did you when do you get to declare the snow emergency? Is there like a button in your office? Yeah, yeah. They, they have the so the public works director gives me a text message usually and says, hey, we're planning on declaring a snow emergency, what do you say? And being someone who doesn't know what they're talking about with respect to <laughs> snow emergency, I say yes to the recommendation. Yes, and so that's that's sort of exciting, is it? Is it exciting? Like, I mean, or like now, now do you think about that? Like the, the responsibility, the weight on your shoulders well, of a snow you know, emergency? And, and it's, not just, it's not just for purposes of parking. When you declare a snow emergency, you could also have a potential impact on whether they close schools or not. Oh, you can. Because then you get the superintendent that calls and says, hey, I see you've declared a snow emergency. What do you think if we close the schools? And then you could be fulfilling the hopes and dreams of thousands and thousands of kids. Oh, wow. Did and that happen this weekend? It, it did. And so, so I have there's – a, there's a kid or two who I, who I, who I babysit for. And so I always text his, their mom ahead of time, and I say, hey, just so you know. Wait, I'm sorry. Sidetrack. You do you still babysit for these kids right yeah, now? I, I, I haven't. I haven't babysitted since I babysat since I was sworn in. Uh, but I actually do owe them a couple of sessions. Do you? Yeah, like, do. do they know that you're mayor? Or how old are these I, kids? I, I, like, I think they could give a shit. They really yeah. don't care. <laughs> that is great. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, Zena is also in the audience. Um, so, speaking of giving a shit, like just to uh, play out the snow thing for a second, you did get shit on Twitter. People were saying, "Oh, the mayor's in Duluth. Like he yeah. should be here right now well, to like mean, shovel the snow." And they, well, and they have a really good point because if I was here, I would have picked up a shovel and then shoveled every single street and been yelling at each one of the plows to make sure that they moved faster. So I, I guess it was a really fair point. I mean, this is a thing. Like, I think, so when uh, I interviewed you when you were running for mayor, and I, I interviewed a, a lot of the candidates, and one of the questions I would just ask is, why do you want this job? Like, and so now, today, like, when I imagine you're getting a lot of phone calls that are like, why was there 16 inches of snow? Do you... Do you do you think differently about that? No, yeah, these are kind of some of the phone calls that I love. Really? Know? Oh, yeah. What yeah, other you know? phone calls do you get? Well, you, you, you get a wide array of, we just have some wonderful, brilliant constituents that'll say, you know, say things like, you know, why weren't you doing your job and making sure that it didn't snow 17 inches or whatever it right. was in, in April? I mean, because... You know, this is something that I was expecting. This is, I mean, we expected it to snow right. this much on April 15th, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah it, every year, yeah. right? That ha- No. It, uh, so, well, but this seems like, a, you know, you're not allowed to leave the city anymore. Now you're mayor. You mm-hmm. are shackled here. That came up in the last administration as well. Like, yeah. you can never leave no, the city, basically. No, can't. For, so, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's, there are worse places to have to just be perpetually for four years. Although it's hard to convince people of that this week, I imagine. I, look, I, I obviously I'm a little bit biased, but yeah. I think that Minneapolis is the best city in the entire world. Uh, so I don't, I don't mind being here. You know, I would love somebody that, in the audience is like mm. every once in a while. Yeah, I've been to Prague. Every, uh, you know, you know, what, I'll tell you what my wife and I do on like a real crazy night. Yeah, Ooh, wow. on a T two P two after dark. On, on, a, on a real crazy night, we drive to the suburbs. <laughs> What what's your favorite suburb? I know, I, you know, I can't. How can you pick just one? 
Okay. Do you have a? Yeah. Do you have one like? Uh, do well, you, have you know, some you, you, you drive out. You know, it could, because you know now you know you don't get recognized as much when you go. You're in the suburbs, and so you have a you have a meal at like one of these suburban joints. Maybe we even like see a movie or something like oh, that. Wow. You know that, that, that that's that's an outlandish do. night though. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And yeah. you're not willing to name drop a suburb, like give them a little love, like. Um, let me think here. Bo- Brooklyn Park. How about Brooklyn that? Park's I'm going to name drop Brooklyn Park. Take that, Brooklyn Center. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a pretty significant jealousy there. That's why I didn't initially want to mention it. But. So, um, so you've been in office for about a hundred and a, like three days hundred and three days. Yeah. So uh, I was going back and reading, uh, some of the things that you were talking about, uh, before you were stepping into office. And you actually said about when you first became a council member that you become a council member and you're presented with a whole lot of new information and you get access to a whole bunch of things and it can change your perspective and change the way that you think about things. Did that happen when you became mayor then as well? Was there new stuff that you learned or new perspective yeah, that you took on? Yeah, yeah I was I was really hoping that, that I would get sat down and then they would give you like a, a whole slew of information, like, you know, like the X-Files or something <laughs> like that of Minneapolis, it didn't happen. And it was one of the most disappointing things. You know, I, I thought I was going to learn about, you know, flying saucers, and I was going to learn where Hubert Humphrey's desk was. And uh, Do we not just, know? Should we be looking? We should be looking, because it's gone missing. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. But there's, so there, there is not some new, like, revelatory... No, you know, I, professionally, I don't. Not like a lot has changed. I knew this, this was going to be an intense job. I knew that it was going to be like heavily, heavy on the like people, you know, yeah. the, the people interaction. But I'm, I'm someone that like gets energy off of people. Yeah. I'm the kind of guy like I, I go home at the end of the night, and if my wife is not around, I'm lonely within ten minutes. Aww. And I'm, I call, hey, let's go. Do, do you have something. a dog? Have I, have, I have a couple cats. I have two cats, two Stella cat. and Rhonda. Okay. Yeah, uh, and um, they're they're extraordinary. Um, uh, but you know, here, here's what has changed, though. Yeah. So, so somebody, I was I was going for a run the other day, and I was running through the park, and I blew a snot a snot rocket, and somebody called me out. Worse than that, I was I was in the grocery store at Lunds, so neither my wife nor I cook. And you blew out a snot rocket. <laughs> not at, not at Lunds, but I you know you go through the salad bar, and what I used to do was, you know, you you, you fill your tray with the salad, and and then. I used to like, you know, before I paid for it, I would take like eat a blackberry or like eat a like a piece of fake oh, and you crab. Somebody called me out and like yelled it really loud too. It was embarrassing, and I can't do that anymore. Oh, I know. This is like the, these are the downsides. These are the, I'm just telling you these are the downsides. Mayor, you're stealing, and but I really nothing I could say because technically, I was stealing. Yeah. <laughs> now everybody's watching. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, and you took over as mayor, and you took office, and then immediately we like had this football game that uh, like the what whole football world, game yeah. was that I'm not aware it was exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it didn't go well for the Vikings before that, but yeah. eventually the we had a, the Super Bowl here, yeah. and you all of a sudden were like host to the whole world in some ways. Kind of cool, right? Was, yeah. was it cool? I, I thought you know I thought collectively. Collectively, the whole city did like a freaking awesome job. You know, we had like ten thousand volunteers out there, and they were just you know happy and smiling and and welcoming. And you know, we uh, I mean every everyone I th- I thought just did a tremendous job. Yeah, so, I, mean, I think we should be pretty proud. I mean, just to yeah. go into the policy, was it is it good for the city? I mean, obviously, there's like this unspoken or not unspoken, but uh, invisible maybe benefit of people seeing and talking about Minneapolis. Does it actually, like, pan out? Do you feel like, yeah, this was, like, a good economic and business and whatnot thing for the city? I do. I, I do. You know, it, so the, the city enterprise, like, the city itself, we didn't lose any money. In fact, we made a little bit of money. I mean, I think some people say it's going to be this, like, massive boon of tons of money just, like, flowing in from every single direction. And that's not true. That's not true. But we did make a little bit of money, and what I think it did is it kind of put us in a position to highlight that which sets Minneapolis apart. Uh, I mean, there are people that just, they've never been to Minneapolis before, they don't know about Minneapolis, it's flyover territory, why would ever go there? But like, you know, there's actually like statistics on this. They've done studies on like people's reaction and how they've thought about Minneapolis after watching the Super Bowl or going to the Super Bowl or experiencing time in Minneapolis. And people thought pretty well of us they liked it they had a great time they they thought what where was just like uh i like minneapolis i don't like minneapolis it just looks cold like 
I guess you, you'd have to ask each person individually, but we know... That's what a yeah. survey does. That's what it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get to that question. Okay. I, I, apparently, I don't know what a survey is. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so let's talk about some policy things. This is the theater of public policy. So uh, one of the really big things that um, uh, has come up in the last few weeks, uh, this comp plan like who knew that everybody would be it's not everybody just talking about the comp plan like regularly yeah Yeah. everybody is and so first of all maybe you could just i feel like we just throw around comp plan very generically but can you just say what is the comp plan is it uh, a master blueprint like they stole in rogue one in order to create like a super (laughs) sphere of Minneapolis, or is it some some more guideline-y kind of thing? No, it's the former in every way, I think. You know, the, 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 the comp plan is like the master plan for where we envision our city going in the next like, 10, 15, 20 years. It's what we aspire to become. Uh, and it touches everything from housing to transportation to public realm improvements to small and local business development to to racial equity. And, like, we're saying these things, like, very clearly. Whereas in the past, you know, we just said, like, we just said, all right, you know, here's how these properties are going to be zoned. And, you know, maybe we'd like to have some, some light rail potentially. And, you know, we want to make sure that we preserve the character of neighborhoods, whatever that means. And we said a lot of that. And now we're like, we, we, we've got some real aspirational stuff. Yeah, in this plan. So what? T- talk about that because the thing that everybody is that we will all live in four plexes. Well, of right? course, that's the plan. Yeah, part of the so. plan. You know? And well, so so I, let's hit on the fourplex thing because I'm yeah. pretty, I'm pretty passionate about this. Um, you know, we have we jokes aside, but I'm sure they'll be made. We we ha- we have like. A hundred years worth of intentional segregation, a hundred years worth of redlining, a hundred years worth of, you know, restrictive covenants that won't run with the land, and intentional separation of communities from some of their most vital assets, like the riverfront. This stuff was done intentionally. Mm-hmm. This was done intentionally, and we need to make sure that the precision of our solutions matches the precision of the harm initially inflicted. And so, and yeah, that's the word deserves some applause. I, it was it's pretty smart, wasn't it? And, um, and with respect to like fourplexes, there are huge swaths of the city that only allow socioeconomically like wealthy people, rich people, to live in huge swaths. Of the city. You can only build, you know, you can only have these large single-family homes. Um, and by the way, if you have a small single-family home right now, right now, apart from the comp plan, you are a- you are allowed to knock down that small single-family home and build a mansion. All we're saying is, in addition to being able to build that mansion, you can also build something more affordable. You know, and there's a lot of people that want to live in duplexes or triplexes or fourplexes. You can own them; you don't need to rent them. They don't need to look totally ugly. You know, this will fit in the neighborhood. You know, and I, I, I feel I feel like at the very least, this is a this is a an important discussion, and we can't like be drop kicking the issue before we've even had it. I'm gonna just well, I'm gonna just do the easy drop kick, which is just the like, well, what about parking? Uh, <laughs> actually, so that, that actually is. While I don't agree with the argument, it is a legitimate argument. I appreciate you know? that you you qualify my just sarcastic comment as a whole argument. Well, That's it's generous. an argument. Thank oh, you. it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you so, like, yeah, but this is the, yeah. as you point out, it is a thing that people care about, it like, is, right? Yeah. Um, so, no. so how do you balance that? Well, you know, I, to a certain extent, you know, first of all, there are, there are, there are people right now that are. You know, 22, 25, 36 years old. There are. Yes, they exist. And they, they don't want to own a car. You know, uh, they don't want to own a car. They want to have, like, their, their iPhone and their, their sense of direction and get from point A to point B with as few hurdles as possible. And so, like, that exists. It's not, it's not like a, it's not a mystery. It's happening already. Uh, and so I don't think that suddenly we're going to have zero parking, but... You could make news if you wanted to say that. Like suddenly, (laughs) Minneapolis has zero parking. Everyone, if you want to move your cars to St. Paul, really quick. (laughs) Well, all we're saying is like we. I I I believe in that. 
living amongst people that don't look exactly like yourself is awesome. I believe in diverse neighborhoods. I believe in living amongst people from a thousand different backgrounds and mentalities and cultures. That's like part of what makes a great city. And we shouldn't be afraid to become one or move in that direction. So this is the thing I distinctly remember us talking about before the election. How do you do that, though, right? Like, I mean, because there are policy things you can do. You can say people can create fourplexes in X, Y, and Z places. And yet you're also talking about the intersection, as, as you suggested, of economic things, of social things. So, uh, yes, there, you might desire to create a city that has diverse neighborhoods and whatnot. How do you actually make that happen? Well, you know, you, you don't mandate anything. Nobody's mandating fourplexes. You know, the, what this policy, this comprehensive plan, if it passes, what, what that would do is just allow for them to exist. You know, so rather than intentionally segregating, we're saying, hey, you, you, you might actually have an option of living in a neighborhood of your choosing. Rather than just say all the affordable goes over in one section of town, we're saying, yeah, we should have affordable in southwest Minneapolis. We should have affordable downtown and in northeast. Like, every neighborhood should have it. Uh, and, like, that's something that hasn't been the case for a long, long time, ever, ever. Well, that's starting to bring in another piece because the zoning piece is one, but then you also have the – Actually, uh, economically incentivizing you sitting funds to build affordable housing and whatnot. So, uh, again, is that a lever to uh, the city would actually start to use to say we are going to build this affordable housing thing in, you know, southwest Minneapolis, in uh, northeast, wherever it is? Yes. Yeah. So talk to me about the like, so give me some specifics on how that happens, where that, because it is something that we haven't seen a lot of uh, previously. And it does seem like, you know, even the notion, as you've suggested, of changing the zoning where nothing is actually being necessarily built or done is controversial controversial and resistance. So when you actually are like, no, well, the city's going to like fund building this, how do you start to make that case? You know, it's, it's funny. Like everybody, everybody, philosophically is for affordable housing. Most people are in Minneapolis anyway. You know, they, 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 they have this kind of macro vision of, yeah, I'm for affordable housing, and they might have voted for, like, Bernie Sanders, and they might have voted for Barack Obama, but as soon as you start talking about affordable anywhere within the vicinity of where they live, they don't like it anymore. Suddenly, they're asking questions like, well, what's the highest and the best use of the land? You know, is that really what we're, is that really the goal? Does this actually fit with the character of the neighborhood? How is this going to dramatically change things? Suddenly, you know, the only thing that people hate worse than the status quo is like any change at all. And these are the same people that were talking about change like a month before they figured out that this affordable housing project was in their neighborhood. This is a great description of the human condition. And so how is Mayor Fry fighting that? (laughs) So I'm just telling you, we're going to do it. We're we're going to we're we're going to to fund affordable housing. It's not just going to be in one area of the city. We're going to do our very best to to be funding affordable housing throughout, bridging that gap between whatever constitutes the market rate and the affordable rate. And something else, you know, we've got a we also uh, the vast majority of the housing that we build that's affordable right now is at what's called fifty and sixty percent of area median income, which is like workforce housing. This is housing. It's like uh, you know for you know for the workforce. Which is great. We need that. But we also need, like, really deeply affordable housing so that people who are experiencing homelessness can pull themselves out, can grab that next rung on the ladder. And it's difficult to do. It's difficult to build. There's political pressures and pushback whenever you try and do it. But, man, it's the, it's the, it's the right thing to do. And at the city level, we have the potential to get it done. Is that another place? Because uh, one of the pieces that hasn't gotten talked about, I think, as much in the comp plan is – uh, the idea of eliminating parking minimums entirely in mm-hmm. new developments. Mm-hmm. So is that something that you think we should do? Is that part of that? Yeah, I think we got to look at that, too. Because, I mean... Look at it, but do it? No, like, do it. We can do, do it. it. Okay. We, uh, yeah, we can... I mean, parking... The market... Let's be real, though. The market, like, controls a lot of this stuff. I mean, some, there, are, there are buildings that can't get... That won't get built sure. unless there's some parking in them because people still have cars. Is that, you know, they still yeah. do park. And... Um, but to, to have the city mandate it, that's on a different level altogether, you know? And we've got to be thinking at a time that's like, by the way, not that far out about, well, what, we, when, what about when we have fully autonomous vehicles? What about when fully autonomous vehicles are working with ride sharing? What about when we don't need the parking anymore as much because you can literally have a vehicle that picks you up at your home and drops you off at work and then doesn't park but goes to pick somebody else up. Like, that's going to happen, and it's not, like, so crazy. You know, I I mean, I thought this was insane. Like, a few years ago, I was like, fully autonomous cars, that's not happening. That's crazy. No, it's actually happening now. And we need to be preparing for that. So rather than have just a ton of these unused parking ramps, 
with slanted floors, what we're now doing is we're, we're requiring them to be flat so that they can be converted to something that's actually useful if and when we don't need them. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, that is a wonderful and like wonky answer to that question. I just love the idea of somebody's like, you know what? That Mayor Fry, he really got like the grade of parking this levels like right. Yeah, like, this, is, this is city governance, man. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so I, I got to get to a couple other big uh questions a big topic area so one that i wanted to talk about because it's the other one that the mayor has a lot of uh agency over is uh policing and uh the police force so um i only skimmed the newspaper but something suggested like that on saturday that you're basically trying to destroy the police union do you want to just explain how you're going to do that <laughs> yeah, i would be honored you know we we need a i think it goes without saying but i'll say it anyway like we need a culture shift in our Minneapolis Police Department. We have to acknowledge it. We have to recognize it. Thank you very much. And we have to, we have to act on it. And so I'll tell you what this is. So right now, our rank-and-file officers, you know, your regular officer, and the people who are supervising those officers, in other words, the sergeants and lieutenants, they sit on the same side of the collective bargaining table together. So, like, they're on the same team. And you are less likely to discipline somebody that you're charged with disciplining if you're on the same team. Do we know that? Like, do we actually have, like, evidence of that? Well, I'm just telling you it's evidence, Tane, so it's evidence. (laughs) (laughs) He would be a good improviser. Yeah. (laughs) And so what we... And by the way, we're like one of the only cities in the country that have it set up this way. Most other cities have it separated out for this very reason. So that, all right, you know, there are things that lieutenants and sergeants, like... They need, and they're different from what the rank and file needs. And so when it comes time to, like, disciplining, I don't want them to think, oh, well, we've part of the same collective bargaining unit. We've got the same collective bargaining agreement. You know, we need to be loyal to the union. No, man, it's a different union. If you're charged with supervising somebody and disciplining somebody and they screw up, discipline them. You know, that's that's, that. this is what accountability is about, and I think this is really where it starts. there was a piece in this story in the Star Tribune that was talking about the politically powerful um, um, police union. And I was there was a part of me that was just like, I paid very close attention to the last uh, mayoral campaign and the city council races. And I don't remember anybody really being like, oh, I really want the police on my oh, side. Yeah. No, in I, I think in everyone, Minneapolis, so I'm. But I'm curious, what does that mean? Like, to, do you think of the police union as a strong political force in the city I, in some other way, maybe than that? No, it's it's not. A, it's certainly not a group that anybody where anybody seeks their endorsement. I mean, if you get the police union's endorsement, uh, you know, God knows, in 2017, it would have been a disaster. Um, but maybe they could use I, that. They could like say, like, you know what, you do what you wa- we want, or we are going we're going to endorse, endorse you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it could happen. That's a, and that, now that I think about it, they are a very powerful union. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the the power is in that you know look we we do need we need police officers, and if if the police officers were to say screw it we're out you know like that would actually be a problem because people need service they do. Um, that hasn't been something that they've threatened or I've seen them threaten, at least in recent years. But that, if, if I had to like, make an argument as to where the power is, that, that's where it lies. The other piece people are talking about a lot with the police is uh, adding more officers. Mm-hmm. And so you said during the campaign that you wanted to add more officers. And now it's this question of, like, well, how many should we add? Yeah, yeah I, 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 think we, I think we need to add more officers. And I'll tell, I'll tell you why. Uh, and this is not this is not like just a this is a safety thing. It's also it's also a, an accountability and transparency and community service thing. And because and, here's the here's the problem right now, a whole lot of our officers, if you just look at the statistics on it, um, I mean they are running from nine one one call to nine one one call, and so they don't have like the time to build out a relationships with somebody and, and engage and and work with the small businesses and get to know the people on the street. So we all talk about community police relations, but if they don't have the time to engage and then after a nine one one call recalibrate and then take another one on and do each one of them in a non biased fashion. Um, well, things go wrong. You know, if you go to, if you're 45 minute, li- minutes late to one 911 call and you're 35 minutes late to the next and you're an hour and a half late to the next one after that, every interaction you have sucks. It's bad. 
and we want to, I'm, I'm someone that thinks that we should expect a lot from our officers. You know, I want to hold them accountable. We've got a body camera policy. We've got the changes to how the union functions that we're going to be making. We're going to make sure that we're, we're going to come down on officers hard when they're not doing their job. But if we do that, we also need to make sure that we're giving them the tools to succeed in doing the things that we purport to want. So it works both ways. And so, yeah, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, we don't want a single more officer because we want more police accountability. My argument is like, to get police accountability, you actually need that additional officer. So uh, you've talked about that you're waiting for Chief Arredondo to like, have you and he to kind of come to. Uh, are you waiting for him to propose like how many officers he says he needs, or how do you figure out like this actual number? Yeah, well, part of it, yeah, is a conversation with Chief Arredondo. But let's say that Chief Arredondo was like, "Hey, I want like 60 officers next year, 50 new officers next year." I can tell you right now, we don't have the budget even to do it. So. But we, that I, I mean, because I also you did say at some point like, oh, you know, we don't have the budget to add fifty to a hundred more officers a year. But does that doesn't necessarily answer whether that's what we should do or what you think we should do? The, you know, the, should we? The, the truth is, is that I don't know exactly what the right number is. That's the honest truth. Um, I know that we won't be able to add the hundred officers that everybody's talking about in the next well, this term even. Um, but. If you look at the the stats, we we do need to add. So yeah, this it is honestly an ongoing conversation, and I, I could I could throw out a random number. Here's the exact. Don't go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. No, I, but I, I want to. I'll just the last point. One of your opponents in the mayoral campaign talked about twenty-five per year for like the four years of a term. It, does that seem like a? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I do, is, it, is it entirely out of this world? No, it's not. Um, is that the figure that we want to settle on? I, 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 I honestly don't know. I can't say. Um, okay, so uh, one last thing, and I should remind everybody, in the second half of the show, we open up for you all to ask questions of our guests, so please be thinking about some of those. Uh, I did want to talk about a couple of transportation-related things, which I admitted to, I was talking to one of your staff members earlier today, is weird in some ways, because while we think about transportation related to our city, it's also like a metro thing. It's like a multi-city thing. Nonetheless, there are very particular things uh, that are coming up. I I read somewhere you talked about... um, we're, we're in the Wedge. We're in Uptown. Uh, a Nicollet streetcar is dead, I heard you say, maybe somewhere. Is that true? Yeah, I did say that. Um, <laughs> so you know, here's what I think about this. Here's what I think about the streetcar. And this is something that I, like, I talked about, even campaigned on in 2013. So I'm for the benefit of a streetcar, not for the transportation side, not for the transportation benefit, but for the economic development that it could trigger along some of these cor- corridors that need a little bit of a bump. Um, so, you know, let's look at it. Uptown is bumping. Uh, downtown is, is happening. Northeast is rocking. Up until you get to around, so bumping, happening, rocking. You got that? Uh, up until around, you know, and the, the plan was for it to go across the river and then get to Central, and then to basically turn around. Now, the portion of the city that could actually kind of use, or one of the portions that could use a little bit of economic development is from, is from the central slash Hennepin crossroad further down central. You know, there's like five or six blocks there where I think we could do something pretty amazing. But if the streetcar is not going that far anyway, you know, what's the point? We can, we can have, we, I mean, I think we need to be investing in BRT heavily. Um, when you know the great thing about BRT is if you make a wrong decision and you pick a corridor that is not necessarily the best for urban for urbanization, then you can correct your mistake. Um, not to mention these BRT lines that are presently in place, like they're working, people are riding them, they're having a great time on the BRT. And uh, just to the Nicolet piece, you have supported reopening Nicolet and actually potentially yeah, absolutely. Where, where are we with that that seems like a thing that I do remember people talking about passionately in 2013 and probably if I had been paying attention in 2009 and forever but so like where are we in terms of uh, opening up Nicolet will that happen in our lifetime or will it be a thing where we talk to our grandchildren like oh yes yeah, I, reopen well, I hope someday your generation <laughs> can open up and oh look here comes a self-driving car to feed yeah, me you can um, get an accent in your older years yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, it, it, it'll, it'll take a while for, is, is my prediction, it'll take a little while for us to ultimately be able to reopen Nicollet because, you know, while we do have a significant amount of control now over the land itself, there's still this long-term lease on the property. Uh, and so, what if you just made it miserable for Kmart? Well, you could, like, I think it's already pretty miserable for Kmart. 
Um, I mean, what came... if you just like decided, like, you know what? This is where like the city meat market will be every day, yeah. or the city yeah. like spoiled. Tell meat me market where the meat market Saturdays. is, and we'll all be yeah. there in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's. I mean, Kmart is not like dead now, but it's definitely you know bruised, lying on the side of the road in a ditch. And so, at some point in the future, yeah, Kmart is gonna like. I've poop never out. felt bad for yeah. Kmart yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at some point in the future, Kmart, you know, might not be a a, a thing anymore. Yeah, uh, and 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 then maybe this long term lease is not so relevant. Um. Okay. So last one that uh, uh, you're. You know, Nicolet Streetcar. Well, actually, I have to ask you about. It. There's actually like a. This is going to get really wonky. There's like a specialized tax district, Nikon Fifth, right? Like all the money from people who are living in Nikon Fifth, that tax money is going to fund like a Nicolet Streetcar. Right. If we don't build a Nicolet Streetcar, what happens? Like, do they need to open an improv theater somewhere, or like what? What happens with that money? So that that money can go to streetcar slash streetcar associated economic development. Wow, so, that is broad. I mean, no, I know. So if you want a new theater, I mean, mm. yeah. Uh, so you're not you're not opposed to any streetcar, though. Then I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about no, going. No, uh, no, I'm not. And, uh, I'm not opposed to any streetcar. I, it's just not like num- priority number yeah. one. What about like up on West Broadway or something? People have talked about that up in North. Well, that Minneapolis. I think I, I actually think that could could work pretty well. Um, you know, so if you if you take if you get like beyond North Loop, so if you go beyond Plymouth, you yeah. know, there there's a, there's a stretch there where. You know, nobody lives. It's mainly some of it's vacant, some of it's industrial. There's just not a lot going on. And so there is a stretch there that actually could see some some economic development and some jobs. And if we could make sure that those jobs are filled by people from within the community in North Minneapolis, like, no, that, that could actually be a success story for streetcar. Uh, so, but it's a little ways out. A success story called Streetcar. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, that's a movie, I think. Isn't it, it is a movie. <laughs> yeah. um, on that historically inaccurate note, please, a tremendously yeah. big round of applause for Mayor Jacob Fry. We're going to come back. Uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand. I will race towards you in a non threatening way, and I will give you a sticker. Uh, just a question. Um, when would it ever be appropriate for, if I'm correct, law enforcement currently has body cameras, correct? When is it ever appropriate for them ever to turn that off during any sort of incident? So what, what we mandated is when they're su- specifically supposed to be turned on because it wasn't entirely clear. Uh, so right now when they, when they get a call, uh, in other words, when the, the dispatch says you got to go help somebody out, they have to, at the very least, have the cameras on prior to two blocks away. If they get the call within that two-block period, they need to turn it on immediately. And then they can't turn it off until not just, like, the, the incident is done with, but until, like, a lot of the reporting has been done with, uh, until they've, they've contacted the other officers so that everything's good to go. Um, so w- right now... There's a lot more clarity and precision, and, and there's also what there is is discipline. There wasn't previously what's called a discipline matrix, so or, you know, any body camera policy worth its teeth has to have consequences if it's not filed, and now this, this one does. Yeah. If ever there's a point where an officer says, you know, cut it off because you know, they feel something was inappropriate, what sort of discipline will be done for those officers if they're heard saying, cut it off? So I guess it depends on the particular scenario, but the, the discipline starts with a, a level for that incident. It would start with a level C and D. So C would be somewhere between zero and 420 hours of unpaid suspension. And then D would be between 420 and I think 720 hours or termination. Um, so depending on how bad the infraction is, yeah, they could lose a significant amount of time. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I have questions here. If you have questions up there, yeah, please raise your hand so that I know to run that way. But let me do this first. So regarding the salad bar, yeah, I actually yeah. work for Lund's. Oh, so <laughs> Worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Consider yourself reported. Shit. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sweating. I was sweating now. I got to go vegan, apparently. And yeah. I'm, on, I'm on a gluten-only diet. And so. On a more serious note. Yeah. Um, I just became familiar with the plight of Mazenga and Mary Wanyama. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who don't know, um, Mazenga is a uh, tenured um, English professor at Augsburg, and his wife has a master's degree in biology and is pursuing nursing at Augsburg. 
They've been in the area for 25 years, yeah. and ICE yeah. is threatening to deport them back to Kenya um, in July. And I know you've offered to help them. So my question is, what realistically can you do as mayor of Minneapolis, specifically for them, but in general regarding ICE, you know, exerting their authority? Yeah. So, excellent question. This guy, a Dr. Wanyama, I mean, this is like everything that we should want in Minneapolis. I mean, he's a professor of English literature. He's been here for 25 years. He's mentored countless students. I mean, I literally cannot create, invent a person that we would m more want in our city than him. And no, he's, they're trying to, to, to kick him out right now for no good reason at all. So the, from a legal perspective, like I can't, I can't wave a wand and suddenly like ice goes away. Um, but what we've been doing is, you know, I, I would say as much as, you know, 40 or even 50 percent of the of the mayoral power is is that which we can use is the bully pulpit. Um, so, you know, I've contacted ice myself. Uh, we we're working with our federal partners who have more control over some of these uh, aspects. Um, we're, we're making sure to be very loud and clear even during his, his hearing. He had like kind of a deportation hearing a week or two ago, um, so I attended. Uh, you know, I, I think, it, and, it, and it can't just be me, like it, it's got to be the whole community that's standing up and saying, this is bullshit, we've had enough of this, and no, we're going to stand by Dr. Wanyama because he's more than just a resident. I mean, this guy's family. So, and you've met with him. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah, back up there. here now. Yeah. So sorry. Uh, God's voice. You, you met with him. Uh, I, I know that you have been working on this, and you know, there's a bully pulpit piece. I, is this one of the like secret backdoor mayor things? Like you can uh, like deputize him to be like a, a justice of the peace or something like that, and then he gets special discompensation or. I, I don't know. I wish I could deputize him to be pretty much anything and then keep him in the country. Um, but no, the, the, the biggest power that I can lend is my voice uh, and then hopefully motivate others to do the same. Okay, there is a hand all the way up here and then I will come back down there that way. So you mentioned that you want to see a culture change in the Minneapolis Police Department but that's pretty ambiguous and leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So I'm curious if you could describe a little bit more about what you think the specific problems are in the culture of the Minneapolis Police Department. The song didn't do it enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to rely on you guys. To, if, you, yeah, if you guys want to answer the question, yeah, feel free. Um, we've, I think, over the, over the last well, many decades, we have built a lot of distrust, distrust between police officers and the communities that they are charged with protecting and serving, especially communities of color. Um, I mean, bias has come into the equation a whole lot. Uh, we've had discriminatory practices that have existed. Uh, and, and no, I don't think there's been full accountability. And so, you know, I think it means several things to me. You know, one, it means, it means building out accountability. It means in our body camera policy, building out accountability. It means accountability with respect to the supervisor and rank and file uh, positions. Uh, it means accountability to make sure that they're exhausting all reasonable alternatives before they're resorting to deadly force. Uh, it means that, you know, if we've got a police department, the police department should look like those they're charged with protecting and serving which means more officers of color. Uh, it means that uh, I, you know, I'm a believer that you're more invested in communities in which you're living, and right now only about 8% of our officers live within the city. Put a different way, 92% of the officers don't live within the city. And you know, some, of these, some of these areas we actually have some direct control over. We can do something like immediately like now. Others, like the question of how many officers live in the city, there are things that are preventing us from acting right now. And so, you know, it, it, and here's the final thing. You know, if you, are, if you are a theater of public policy that is known for being, like, hysterical and really cool and quirky and, like, everybody wants to be, and then you go out and recruit, who do you think you're going to get? You know, you're going to get a hysterical group. You know, if you are an entity, regardless of what that entity is that is known for being... Uh, a bunch of biased thugs, whether or not that's true, and then you go out and recruit, who do you think you're going to get? 
And so, so much of it also changing the external perception of the police department as well. It's making this like a viable option so that people from within the community that want to help are willing to, to sign up. And I'll say this, you know, I've, I've been working with a whole, lot, a whole lot of our officers are really great. You know, they, they do want to improve the lives of people around them. They do. Um, does that mean that all of them are that way? No, it does not. In fact, it's not the case. Uh, but I think there's a lot of work that we can do to shift that culture, and, and I hope that provides a little bit of specificity. So I know that the city, by state law, can't actually uh, mandate that police officers live within the city. But there, are, you could do. Couldn't the city do incentives if you want it? Couldn't you say like, we'll give you an extra thousand bucks a year or something like that, or yeah, we'll we pay for your housing? Is that something you'd consider? Yeah, yeah, actually it is. You know, incentives are something I think we need to be looking at. And um, do I know the right incentive? No, I'm not sure I do. You know, one of the ideas that I was thinking about is, well, why, why don't we work with some of these landlords? You know, if you've got a, a series of row homes and you're a landlord, and, uh, you know, I think it would behoove the landlord perhaps to have an officer maybe on the block, you know. Um, so what if they were willing to provide a little bit of a break in the rent? You know, in, in that case, the landlord benefits because they've got a police officer in one of their row homes. The police officer benefits because they've got a break in the rent. And the city of Minneapolis benefits because at the end of the day, we've got a cop that lives in the community and is, in, and is invested in the areas they're serving. So that's just another idea. Is it the right one? You know, I don't know yet. Uh, but it's something we need to be looking at. All right. There's a question down here if you want to pass on that one. Oh, give me a sticker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I happened to meet this. I'm I'm part of a uh, economic group, um, collectively known as Downtown Longfellow, and we are a collection of bars, entertainment, bookstores, breweries, and our issue is parking. Our audiences come from all over the city, and we figure on an on an average weekend, we are we have about 900 cars that turn up in the neighborhood. We don't have people that want to take light rail or ride their bicycle. We do. There's a certain segment of the audience. But the rest of them, and if we want to stay in business and we want to pay our taxes and our fees and our licensing, we need these people to show up and we need parking. So what can the city do to help us? Because we met with long-range planning this last week and they basically said, we could maybe put in some lights between you and the light rail. And that doesn't cut it. Well, I, I guess, well, first off, thank you um, for owning a business in downtown Longfellow. Uh, thank you for your investment in this city. Well, I'll t I'll first, I'll tell you kind of what we won't do. We're, we're, the city's not going to build parking ramps and then own them, it's certainly not with public money. Um, I think we're kind of beyond that point as to where we can invest heavily in significant infrastructure. Um, you know, we were talking about mandating certain percentages of, of parking the other day, the other minute, in some of these new residential buildings. Uh, but then, what, what, what I think we can be looking at is district parking. So rather than rather than say, all right, you know, every single building has to have a certain number. What, what if we were to do district parking that served these two or three or four blocks or whatever, um, and we allowed somebody to build more, so long as the floors are flat and. And so long as we're kind of planning for the future, you know, I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a huge problem with that. Um, but as far as mandating it or as far as subsidizing it or as far as building it ourselves, uh, I'll just be very honest and say that, no, I, I would not support that. We're looking at a really large, empty, blank space next to the Target store. Okay. All Nothing right. goes on there. Nothing happens. Okay. We'd like a little help from the city and... Figuring that on the Lake Street side of on the Lake Street side, yeah. they don't use it. It's owned by an LLC that's out of state, and supposedly the rumor was the city sold it to them for a buck. All right, that can be where our improv theater is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's an issue of mine. It's been a pet peeve for many years. The, the taxpayers help pay for stadiums like the, the, you know, the U.S. Bank Stadium and so forth. And the, city, the residents in the city of Minneapolis pay 
some of the highest sales tax, and then the Hennepin County residents pay, I think, the second lowest, or the second down level. And so we've got these public venues paid for in large part by taxpayers, and then now the legislature has legalized ticket scalping. So the ticket prices have gone through the roof, and the, the um, ticket king type companies are making bucks off the backs of all these patrons going to these publicly funded stadiums. They're paying these high taxes. They can't afford the high-priced tickets, and so they're being shut out of going to the venues that they pay for with their taxes. So, like, is that, like, put that question, what the heck can you do about it to help the residents make... Ticket, ticket scalping should be made illegal again. It used to be, it used to be illegal, and then Phyllis Kahn made it legal some years back. Did anybody, just out of curiosity, scalp a ticket to this show? Because that would be awkward at this point. Um, no, so, Mayor? Yeah, so uh, I, I was following you with the, the publicly subsidized stadium piece. Uh, I don't know that I was that I was able to take the next leap from the publicly subsidized stadium to well, the, the ticket. I think scalping. it was that the Minneapolis is paying a lot right. for these stadiums. And, and so people can't afford the tickets. And people can't afford the tickets. So well, are that, we getting kind of hit? Yeah, twice? So, so yeah, that's, that's wrong. I mean, you know, I was, I was not a supporter of the, of us, of us bank stadium at the public subsidy that went to it. Um, I still not a supporter of the public subsidy that went to it. Uh, as as far as the the ticket scalping piece, I gotta be honest, man. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that that ultimately so impacts things. Ta- I mean, yeah. About the um, stadium, so y- you weren't a supporter of the public subsidy for that. You did. You were a big supporter of trying to get the soccer stadium yeah, here in yeah. Minneapolis, mm-hmm. but you wanted to do that without any kind of public subsidy, or was that a different case? I kind of want to f- try and frame this, because now we've got a soccer stadium in St. Paul, and so it should be, I should be asking a future-looking question, but I don't know what sport is left for us to, like, yeah, I think we already, done. like, the lacrosse team plays at Excel, yeah. and so, I don't know, uh, the badminton stadium that we will have. But anyway, so what, what, what did you want with the soccer stadium yeah so the soccer stadium obviously it's happened in st paul right i'm done kind of crying in my beer over that one uh but not every deal is created equal with the in the case of the u.s bank stadium we'll, we'll just look at the facts here you know the facts are that we were subsidizing that thing publicly subsidizing that thing to the tune of like over half a billion dollars so we were saying here's a half a billion dollar check uh and and i don't i don't support that uh, we 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 lost a significant amount of money in that direct subsidy. Conversely, with the soccer stadium, the private entity was paying for a hundred percent of the stadium cost. They were paying for a hundred percent of the franchise fee. They were paying for a hundred percent of the land acquisition. Somewhere in the range of uh, I don't know a whole lot of money, um, and then they were voluntarily getting written into the downtown sales and entertainment tax district. So if you do the math on it, if you do the math out, you know, even in the worst case scenario, so let's not let's not let's assume that not one dollar of economic development was generated in that area, not a single dollar due to the the soccer field. We, the city, still made would make quite a bit of money every single year. Um, so I was looking at this vast swath of land between downtown and North Minneapolis. I was seeing a stadium that was not paid for through public money. It was being paid for privately, and I was saying, yeah, you know, at the very least, I'm open to having a negotiation on this thing. So uh, we, uh, we're past time, but the last thing I just wanted to sort of ask, uh, I kind of, it's kind of going back to where we started, but it's just, uh, what has surprised you, I guess, about being mayor in, in terms of uh, the things that people come and talk to you about or ask you about? or where you are now sort of in, in relation to a lot of these issues and whatnot. Has there been something where you've been like, wow, I would not have expected that? You know, on the professional side, honestly, no. You know, I've got my whole day that's basically... Well, that doesn't make news. So, so other than, no, I know, it's, it's, 
the whole day is divided with the exception of, of course, theater public policy, where I will give more than a full hour. Um, with you, most of my day is divided into these thirty-minute increments. So you got like a twenty-minute meeting, five minutes of staff direction, and then five minutes of like you know emails or going to the bathroom or calling a phone call. Um, so that I expected. Um, but there's kind of other pieces of the the. Uh, to be real honest, like the pers- your personal life just changes a, a little bit. You know, I now have a. Uh, He's not. I don't see him here right now. But I have got like a security guy that follows me around. What um, am I not and, supposed to call him? And what's that? What am I not supposed to call him? It's so Todd, so Todd Bear. I could call Todd him Todd Bear. Bear. So you'll you appreciate this. So I've got like this team of like security officers, and they're like really tough and hard, and they're you know they they keep me safe, um, and they do. They're and they're wonderful. Um, and so on Valentine's Day. Uh, I decided that I was going to play a little prank on them, and you know, they, they, they're, these are not like these are these are man's men kind of thing. And, and they, uh, and oh, there was Officer Hanks, and then there's Officer Todd Bear, and and so Todd Bear is like my main security guy. And I I, I decided that I was going to get a whole bouquet of flowers and and a note, and I wrote this note from Officer Hanks to to Todd Bear. <laughs> Dear, dearest Todd Bear, you are the light of my life. I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm like a schoolgirl. Every time I see you, I blush and I get, a, you know, and then she on and on and on and on and on. Love, Officer Hanks. And so, and then we, we, we gave. He got the flowers, and he was embarrassed as hell. I think, and he would be incredibly. He would kill me probably Somebody if might he was here right now, hearing that. That, that I was telling the story to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> But like to, th- and that's a new thing. And uh, the argument we're having right now, actually, about the security detail is, yeah. <laughs> the argument. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Yeah. Are you going to finish my beer? Yeah. <laughs> I would say something, but Todd Bear is going to just destroy <laughs> me if I do. Well, on on that heartwarming story, please a tremendous round of applause one more time Thank for you Mayor for Jacob Fry. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.